Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. And blessings. And welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347 324 Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host this evening for the Gist of Freedom, where we will continue our reading of the book Underground Railroad, published in 1871, written by William Still. We're coming to you over www.blocktalkradio.com backslash the gist of freedom. But also call your attention to the fact that you can pick up an archive show of all shows at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. I also suggest that you friend our producer, Leslie Gist, on Facebook. That's L-E-S-L-E-Y, Gist, on Facebook. Tonight the reading is going to be covering the escape of a 15-year-old female who was disguised as a boy. My guest tonight is Stephen Clark Harvey, teacher and um, historian in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. Good evening, Stephen. Hello. Hello. Hello? Yeah, Stephen, are you there? Yes, I am. Nice to... uh talk to you. Okay, glad to have you here tonight. Um, Tell our audience just a little bit about who you are and how you got uh, interested in African-American history. Well, the case I'm really interested in was Anne-Maria Weems, and the reason was that it was my great-great-great-grandfather, Dr. Elwood Harvey, who picked her up in front of the White House and brought her to William Still's house on Thanksgiving, and then took her from there to Camden and up to New York City, where he dropped her off at Reverend uh, Charles Ray's place in Brooklyn. So we knew about Anne Maria Weems. Uh, What I didn't know at the time was that she was the youngest person, supposedly, as far as documented Underground Railroad history, to travel the Underground Railroad by herself. Now, she did have conductors, but... She didn't have anyone from her family or people that she worked with that, you know, left with her. So she was all alone on this trip. And uh, Well, it, correct. Okay. Uh, who were some of the uh, notables that 
helped her along this uh, underground railroad? Well, as you may know, uh, Jacob Bigelow, who was a white lawyer down in Washington, uh, worked for the Anthracite Coal Company and uh, was an abolitionist. He was involved in setting her family free. Her father was a free man, but her mom was a slave, and as a result of Maryland law, any of the children that were born into that marriage became property of the owner as well. So the father was constantly trying to buy his family's freedom. Eventually, Stella, who was Anne's older sister, escaped with an uncle and an aunt a few years before Anne escaped, and they ended up raising money all over the United States and in England to set the family free. And uh, most of the family was purchased and set free, including some brothers who had been sold down south, down the river, the old expression, being sold down the river, meaning you'd never see them again. They were actually able to find them and bring them back. The only person they would not sell, uh, Charles Price, her master, was Anne Maria Weems. And unfortunately, Jacob Bigelow got angry with her, or angry with him, and told him, you're never going to see her. Someday you're going to look for her, she's going to be gone, which, of course, wasn't the smartest thing to say, because then the guy was always on his guard. But eventually they got her to escape. The other people involved were Lewis Tappan, Reverend Charles Ray, who I've mentioned from Brooklyn, Amos Noah Freeman, who was also a reverend, who was the one that actually took her into Canada from New York City, and uh, Henry Garnett, uh, even though he didn't deal with Anne, it was her sister that lived with him, and he had a lot to do with setting the Weems family, getting the uh, publicity, and getting people to help them. Are there any books out there that uh, our listeners can get a hold of that talks about this story? Yes, there are, there are. Well, one, of course, you know the William Stills book, which is what most people use when they refer to the Anne Maria Weems case. As a teacher, the book I like is called Stealing Freedom by Elisa Carbone. It's actually for, I'd say, middle school students. And there are some mistakes in it because she was not aware of all the information. She didn't know about this sister, Stella. But she does a really great job of fictionalizing this historical story. And for if you want accurate information, then the other person you want to read is uh, Shadows Over the Household by Brian Prince, who's a Canadian that lives up in Buxton, which was where Anne ended up. And he has a really great book that came out about four years ago, all about how the whole family was kind of set free because they were actually kind of like a cause that people all over England and the United States were fighting for. And that's The Shadows of the Household. And what was that author's name again? Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Prince. And it's called A A Shadow on the Household. I may have said that incorrectly. Oh. On the household. Yes, one enslaved family's incredible struggle for freedom. Great. Now, what about this bond bounty that was on uh, Miss Weems's head? Well, yeah, that was that was the problem. They actually had people that would take slaves out of Washington normally. 
Charles Price was so angry that he offered $500, which I think was about five times the going rate for runaway slaves. And because of that, most of the people that would have normally taken Anne out of Washington backed off. They uh, talked to my ancestor, Elwood, who was up at the Philadelphia Female Medical College up in Philly in September and asked him if he would do it because they knew he was trying to raise $300 to get a dissection mannequin for the women that he taught at his college, his female college, which was – or female doctor college. And he was also William Stills family physician. So I have a feeling it was William Stills that probably said to him, you know, if you want $300 and you're willing to take this risk, I know of this girl down in Washington that we were trying to get out. He said he would do it, but the problem was he was teaching and he couldn't do it till Thanksgiving break. So as a teacher up in Philly now, I can relate to that because I often have to wait to do things Thanksgiving break as well. Yeah, there are a number of people who are expressing a lot of fascination with this story. And uh, I'd like to read a, a bit from a post on Facebook that okay. Leslie just put up. And uh, it being understood that Joe, and that's in quotation marks, was to act as coachman in passing out of Washington, everything having been duly arranged. The doctor's horses and carriage stood waiting before the White House. William Penn preferred this place as a starting point rather than his own uh, office door. So okay. what we have here, too, um, is that this young lady described her or disguised herself as a male and also as a coachman. Um, yes, yeah, she was what they call a jitney driver, which is the costume. The one famous shot that we have of Anne Maria Weems is her in what they call a jitney uniform, which was what you wore. You didn't have taxis because there were no cars then, so you would rent someone with a carriage and a horse, and you would have someone that would drive the jitney for you, and that's what she was dressed as. Okay. Now, relative to your research into this, did I hear you say that someone interviewed your ancestor, or did I misunderstand? Uh, well, there have been things that have been done on Dr. Elwood Harvey over the years. Uh, I had uh, Elisa Carbone actually came here to the house, the woman that wrote Stealing Freedom, the, the kid's book about Anne Maria Weems. And there's even a comic book, by the way, on her that I've seen, but uh, it, it wasn't that great. Uh, she actually came to the house along with a fellow by the name of Tony Cohen. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He runs a nonprofit underground railroad society called the Monaire Foundation out of and Maryland. They're located in Maryland? But he's located in Maryland. Uh, I think – Lisa Carbone now lives in West Virginia. I think she's moved there because she's a mountain climber, so that's where she can do her hobby. But the Monaire Foundation, it is on Facebook. Tony has been running that, and Tony was actually the one that was doing a lecture on Anne Maria Weems that Lisa Carbone heard and thought the story was so fascinating that she decided to write the book. That was about maybe 10, 15 years ago. Okay. And uh, they sought you out. For what reason did they seek you out? 
Well, I I was doing work on my family. I knew very little about my family history, so I was doing work on the family history. And we have one book that was mainly obituaries for Dr. Elwood Harvey. And there was a thing in there from 1938, the Philadelphia Inquirer did a two-page photo essay where they recreated the whole story from uh, with actors pretending to be Amaria Weems and my relatives and all the various people. A lot of mistakes in it, but still pretty fascinating that they would devote two pages of history to something like this. You wouldn't see that nowadays. And uh, Dr. Harvey, you know, uh, it, 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 it even said Anne Maria Weeks. That's how bad the information was. It wasn't Weems. So I put it in the Internet, and, man, I had paid her. I found all these stories about Anne Maria Weeks. And, I mean, all we knew was that, you know, this relative had rescued this one person, but we didn't know that it was that big a deal. And then we started finding all these stories, and then somewhere along the line I found where it said that she was the youngest person to ever travel the uh, Underground Railroad by herself. So they wow, came to visit. I corresponded, and they came to visit to answer your question. Wow, fascinating. Shows you how genealogy ties into history. And the uh, Internet. The Internet is a real boon to anyone that's doing their family history. I can't begin to encourage you to use it. Okay. Now, she wound up in Canada, and you mentioned she was in the Buxton, went to school there, which was the Elgin Settlement. Do we know much of her history after she arrived in Canada? She uh, Supposedly the story is, is that uh, Reverend Freeman was driving a coach with Anne in the coach, down the road near to where he was going to drop her off, spotted a gentleman along the road and said something to him like, you know, do you know where such and such address is? And the guy said, yes, I know it. He said, it's my own address. Turned out the gentleman was her uncle. So her uncle and aunt lived up there. Her sister Stella stayed with Henry Garnett and ended up doing this, I guess, like church circuit where they would talk about slavery and what her family had experienced. And they even went over to England. And when they were over in England, he was hired by a Scottish church to become a missionary down in Jamaica. They went down to Jamaica. I guess they caught the yellow fever, and Stella unfortunately ended up dying down there. So she never saw her sister again. But she did see her aunt and uncle who had escaped on the Underground Railroad. And all we know is the last record we have of her existence is she was somebody's godmother in 1863. She signed some church ledger, and that's the last time we see her name. There's no marriage record. There's no tombstone. She never came back to the U.S. as far as we can tell. Even the Weems family themselves are not sure what happened to her You know, after she got to Canada. We do know she was alive till 63 at least. Okay, and she uh, went free in 1855, and I understand by 1858 that all the children um, had gained their freedom. Well, I think, from what I understand, I thought all the children had already gained it. She was the last one. It actually came down to uh, an older sister and her they only had enough money to set one of them free, and you can imagine what a heartbreaking 
decision that would be to decide which of your children you were going to take with you and which you were going to leave behind with the slave master. And yeah. because she was the younger of the two, they figured, take the older one, get her out now, and hopefully in a year or so get the younger one. Unfortunately, you know, when Jacob Bigelow made his remark about, you know, you're going to look for her someday and she's going to be gone, and then this slave owner said, you know, She's not going anywhere, and that's probably why he paid the $500 reward or put up $500 reward. He didn't. He never paid it because he never got her back, luckily. Never got her back, yeah. So are there any other myths out there uh, relative to her escape? There's all sorts. Uh, I recently picked up a book about Union soldiers from New Jersey called uh, – Union County's Black Soldiers and Sailors of the Civil War by Ethel Washington. I don't know. You know that person? (laughs) Uh, It has her on the cover. She has nothing to do with the Civil War, obviously. Obviously, And it's the famous shot. It's a great shot of her. This... By the way, the photograph is kind of interesting because a lot of people think she traveled in that suit. She only traveled from Washington up to Philadelphia in that suit, dressed as a boy. Because she had two aliases. One was Joe Wright, and Wright was the name of an abolitionist from York York in Pennsylvania. And then she had a female alias, which was Ellen Capron, C-A-P-R-O-N. And Capron was the name of Dr. Elwood Harvey's editor. He wrote for a newspaper, and that was the editor of the newspaper. So they made up this woman's name based on the editor. And she dressed as a girl from Philadelphia to Camden, from Camden to Brooklyn, from Brooklyn to New York. When she got to Lewis Tappan's house, he asked if he could take a photograph of her in the boy's uniform. That's when she changed back into the clothing that she had escaped from D.C. in. And that's when the famous picture was taken. But that's the only photograph we have of her. The only one, and that's okay. And and a you well, call it a jitney uniform? A jitney, yes, it, uh, like a horse and buggy. Okay. Now I'll tell you one story if you're interested about that. I no one's. We only know this because we happen to have it in the that obituary book for Elwood was that Anne Marie Weems had freckles, and when she escaped, that was one of the things they put on the runaway slave poster was slave has freckles, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, everyone was looking for a girl. She was dressed as a boy. She had been taught to walk as a boy, talk as a boy, pretty much do everything like a boy. Mm-hmm. When they got to Havre de Grace in Maryland, where you cross the Susquehanna, that's usually one of the spots where they caught slaves because it was a river, and usually you had to cross the river if you wanted to get up north. And there were two ways to do it. There was actually a covered bridge at one point. Someone told me he went all the way across the Susquehanna, and there was a ferry boat. And you would take the trains. The trains would actually go all the way down to the river's edge, and there would be a ferry boat. Well, Dr. Elwood drove the buggy onto the ferry boat. She was doing something with the horse. I don't know if she was brushing the horse or something. But she was in her boy uniform at that point still. And a couple of the ferrymen were looking at her, and they were saying, boy, you know, this guy has has freckles just like that runaway girl. 
Now, of course, they didn't know that it was a girl they were talking about. Had they, then they probably maybe had done something, would have done something. And uh, supposedly, Dr. Harvey, at that point, hearing that he was having his his boy troubled because they were messing with her, started took off his coat and started rolling up his sleeves and kind of in a loud voice said, you know, is there something I can help you with? And they kind of backed off at that point. But she had almost been caught at that point. And she had also almost been caught the night before when they stayed at a, a slave owner's house, and the slave owner offered to lock Anne up, thinking that it was a boy with his other male slaves down in the basement. And my grandfather, or not my grandfather, but my ancestor, quickly thought, and he said, "You know what? I need uh, Joe here to stay in the room with me because he has to get my medicine in case I have my attacks, and he knows what to do and how to take care of me and stuff. So he'll just stay with me." So twice they had a couple uh, close calls. So the piece that we're about to hear, uh, have you heard it previously? Well, which I'm not sure. You're reading from the William Stills book. We're reading from Stills' book, and it's reference to uh, Miss Wayne's. Okay, I have uh, I did put a marker on the section on page one twenty eight because I was okay. trying to find the section where they refer to the doctor as the family physician. Okay, well, can okay. you give us a brief uh, uh, run in tie in to the clip that we're about to hear? Well, uh, Anne was someone that. Stills had been trying to get out since September. Everyone was backing out of the deal because $500 was a lot of money. That meant you had people that were slave catchers coming out of the woodwork. There was a lot more attention on catching this one particular slave. Therefore, anyone that went to help someone escape was more likely to get caught themselves. And... Dr. Harvey agreed to do it, partially because he was an abolitionist, and I think partially because he had just lost a daughter of his own about three years before. He had a five-year-old daughter who had died. So I guess he kind of felt what the Weems family must have been feeling, having their youngest daughter still in slavery and stuff and wanted to help her. And he, he used the $300 that Lewis Tappan gave him as the reward to buy this paper mache mannequin, a dissection mannequin, for his students, who were all females. Uh, female doctors were not very popular before the Civil War, at least not with male doctors. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And if our engineers okay. are ready, we're getting ready to uh, listen to the uh, clip, and I will talk with you after the clip. Okay. Okay, here we go. Section 11 of the Underground Railroad, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Underground Railroad, Part 1 by William Still. Section 11. 
Clarissa Davis, arrived dressed in male attire. Clarissa fled from Portsmouth, Virginia, in May 1854, with two of her brothers. Two months and a half before she succeeded in getting off, Clarissa had made a desperate effort, but failed. The brothers succeeded, but she was left. She had not given up all hope of escape, however, and therefore sought a safe hiding place until an opportunity might offer by which she could follow her brothers on the UGRR. Clarissa was owned by Mrs. Brown and Mrs. Berkeley of Portsmouth, under whom she had always served. Of them she spoke favourably, saying that she had not been used as hard as many others were. At this period, Clarissa was about twenty-two years of age, of a bright brown complexion, with handsome features, exceedingly respectful and modest, and possessed all the characteristics of a well-bred young lady. For one so little acquainted with books as she was, the correctness of her speech was perfectly astonishing. For Clarissa and her two brothers, a reward of $1,000 was kept standing in the papers for a length of time, as these articles were considered very rare and valuable, the best that could be produced in Virginia. In the meantime, the brothers had passed safely on to New Bedford, but Clarissa remained secluded, waiting for the storm to subside. Keeping up courage day by day for seventy-five days with the fear of being detected and severely punished, and then sold after all her hopes and struggles, required the faith of a martyr. Time after time, when she hoped to succeed in making her escape, ill luck seemed to disappoint her, and nothing but intense suffering appeared to be in store. Like many others, under the crushing weight of oppression, she thought she should have to die ere she tasted liberty. In this state of mind, one day, word was conveyed to her that the steamship City of Richmond had arrived from Philadelphia, and that the steward on board, with whom she was acquainted, had consented to secrete her this trip, if she could manage to reach the ship safely, which was to start the next day. This news to Clarissa was both cheering and painful. She had been praying all the time while waiting, but now she felt that if it would only rain right hard the next morning about three o'clock to drive the police officers off the street, then she could safely make her way to the boat. Therefore she prayed anxiously all that day that it would rain. But no sign of rain appeared till towards midnight. The prospect looked horribly discouraging, but she prayed on, and at the appointed hour, three o'clock before day, the rain descended in torrents. Dressed in male attire, Clarissa left the miserable coop where she had been almost without light or air for two and a half months, and, unmolested, reached the boat safely, and was secreted in a box by William Bagnall, a clever young man who sincerely sympathized with the slave, having a wife in slavery himself, and by him she was safely delivered into the hands of the Vigilance Committee. Clarissa Davis here, by advice of the committee, dropped her old name and was straightway christened Mary D. Armstead. Desiring to join her brothers and sister in New Bedford, she was duly furnished with her UGRR passport and directed thitherward. Her father, who was left behind when she got off, soon after made his way on north and joined his children. He was too old and infirm, probably, to be worth anything, and had been allowed to go free or to purchase himself for a mere nominal sum. 
slaveholders would on some such occasions show wonderful liberality in letting their old slaves go free when they could work no more after reaching new bedford clarissa manifested her gratitude in writing to her friends in philadelphia repeatedly and evinced a very lively interest in the ugrr the appended letter indicates her sincere feelings of gratitude and deep interest in the cause new bedford august twenty sixth eighteen fifty five mr still i avail myself to write you these few lines hoping they may find you and your family well as they leave to me very well and all the family well except my father he seems to be improving with his shoulder he has been able to work a little i received the papers i was highly delighted to receive them i was very glad to hear from you in the wheeler case i was very glad to hear that the persons were safe i was very sorry to hear that mr williamson was put in prison but i know if the praying part of the people will pray for him and if he will put his trust in the lord he will bring him out more than conquer please remember my dear old father and sisters and brothers to your family kiss the children for me i hear the yellow fever is very bad down south now if the underground railroad could have free course the emigrant would cross the river of gordon rapidly i hope it may continue to run and i hope the wheels of the car may be greased with more substantial grease so they may run over swiftly i would have wrote before but circumstances would not permit me miss sanders and all the friends desire to be remembered to you and your family i shall be pleased to hear from the underground railroad often yours respectfully mary d armstead end of section eleven hello well now um what do you think of that Stephen? it uh, well that of course was 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 a different person but they did do that a lot probably ellen craft was the most popular runaway slave that dressed as a male so changing gender or trying to pass for white all the different ways that you would try and get people out of slavery you know they they did whatever they could and i'm kind of surprised with Anne Maria Weems that they were still trying to pass her off as a male just because that had been done so many times before you would think the slave owners would have caught on to that but luckily they didn't yeah and uh clip that we heard uh mention of Clarissa Davis is that the name they mentioned yeah that was that was a different case that was a different case altogether so how many uh do we know that's at least three craft yeah three that I know of Davis and Miss Weems that's at least three were there more oh I'm sure there must have been a, a, I'm sure people that didn't even know about the other ones probably thought of, you know, let's dress them up as a boy or dress them up as a girl or something, depending on what you thought you could get away with. I see. Uh, they, one of the things I've learned studying the Underground Railroad is is that sometimes they weren't as cautious as they should be, that you would think like with spies there are certain things you know not to do. And unfortunately, when Anne Maria Weems escaped, she escaped in November of 55. By February of 56, there was an article in Frederick Douglass's paper describing how they had dressed her up as a boy and how she escaped. And I thought, you know, why would you even yeah. announce that? 
at all. And supposedly it was Tappan's wife wrote that article. So I don't know what they had to talk afterwards. And he said, you know, that wasn't the best thing to do. Yeah, it wasn't a very wise idea to tip your hand that way. No, it wasn't. Uh, I was going to mention, you mentioned books. Uh, besides my website, the Facebook site, uh, Dr. Elwood Harvey, Underground Railroad Conductor, which isn't a book, but it's it's a resource. It's a free site that anyone wants to learn about the Anne Maria Weems story. There's stuff there. There is a book I'm sure you're familiar with called The Price of a Child by Lorraine Carey from Philadelphia. She wrote a book about a woman named Jane Johnson, who in July of 1855, just before Elwood made his trip, in Philadelphia, this woman was set free by a guy named Passamore Williams and a number of black abolitionists. She uh, was supposed to go to Venezuela with her master, her son and herself, and her master, who was a, uh, I guess he was from South Carolina, but he was going to go down to Venezuela, somewhere down, or somewhere in Central America, actually. And she didn't want to go. Obviously, she didn't like being a slave, and being a slave in a foreign country wasn't going to be any better either. And she got word out to someone at the hotel where she was staying in Philadelphia, and as he took her to Camden to take her on the ferry to go up to New York City, they grabbed him and just held him. Now, they wouldn't try and hit the slave owner as much as you think they might want to. That was the last thing you wanted to do was have anything, any cause to say there was violence. And they took her away, and they were able to get her away from him, and she was able to escape with her child. And Lorraine Carey has done this book called The Price of a Child. A lot of the information in that gave me information about what Dr. Harvey went through, like the train station that he left through and the Camden Ferry, because I had read the, the account about her. And unfortunately for the abolitionists, our president at the time, Franklin Pierce, was a very pro-slavery president. Even though he wasn't a slave owner, he didn't like abolitionists much, which is why I think the thing with Anne Maria Weems happened right in front of the White House. I think that was deliberately uh, a way for the abolitionists to thumb their nose at the authorities saying, you know, we still aren't going to follow what you want to do yeah, by having that there. Extremely yes. great. Now, <laughs> in, front of, in front of the President of the United States is pretty tough. <laughs> now, you mentioned you had a website. Could you mention that website again? And you also mentioned yeah. Facebook page. Okay, it's uh, Dr. Harvey, Dr. Elwood Harvey, UGRR, Underground Railroad. It's on Facebook. It's a freebie site. It's one of two sites I have with my ancestors. There's another one called Harvey's A Chance Forward, but this is one that's just basically dedicated to the doctor and Anne Maria Weems. I have photos up there. I have the Philadelphia uh, Inquirer photos up there from 1938 when they did the photo essay. I have various shots of Anne-Marie Weems. It's all the same shot, but different, different versions of it. And any books and links I find, I always post there. Oh, I just had a lady from Maryland that uh, actually impersonates Anne-Marie Weems, a Tamika, I forget her last name now, Monterville, I think it is, 
and she does she conducts an underground railroad tour down in Maryland dressed as Anne Maria Weems, and she was nice enough to write me and say, thank you for putting up the site. So. And did she put anything up on your site? Well, just a photo of herself in the uniform, just so you can see what the what this lady looks like. I don't know. I tried to get a hold of her to let her know that this show was going to happen tonight, but uh, I'll have to just post it. I guess people can listen to this show later. It's archived, so they can listen to it later. Exactly. And you can also put her in touch if you come in contact with our producer, Leslie Gist. I will do that. And also, I would strongly suggest contacting both Elisa Carbone uh, unfortunately, you got to write her. She's off the internet, but Tony Cohen, who's a friend of hers, and Tony has a lot of information about the Maryland Underground Railroad and what went on down there. He runs that Manair Foundation, which is also on Facebook. Okay, and that's Elisa Carbone. Yes, C A R B O N E. Her first name is okay, Elisa. Elisa. E-L-I-S-A. Okay. She writes, Al, she writes a lot of interesting books, mainly historical fiction and often African-American history. She wrote about the uh, rescuers out on Cape Hatteras in the last century that went out and when boats would flounder out there, they would go out and pull the people off the boats and bring them into shore. And then she has another book about a boy and his dog escaping through the Underground Railroad, too. But she mainly has female uh, heroines in her books. She usually writes about young girls that have gone through some trial or tribulation, which is why she liked the, you know, the Anne Maria Weems story. Exactly. Well, Stephen, uh, I certainly appreciate the effort that you've put into your own research I appreciate your taking the time out of your busy schedule, and school's getting ready to start here pretty soon. Um, Hopefully, we'll see. I'm up in Philly. They're talking about it not opening until late September, so we will see. If knock on wood, we'll be there after Labor Day, but who knows? But give me a little bit more time to do some more research. Great. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that they've been listening to the Gift of Freedom. My name is Preston Washington. I've been your host. My guest has been Stephen Clark Harvey, teacher and historian, who has shared uh, with us his insights on the Underground Railroad and the escape of Anna Marie Weems, which he discovered through his uh, research of his family history during his genealogy. I'm sure that we'll want to have you back in the future. Uh, Okay. Well, I would always be glad. I appreciate uh, a chance to talk about it and... There's probably a whole show you can do just on how stories change over a century or two, how they take on different aspects that you would never think about. (laughs) Well, we certainly want to get into that. And again, I want to thank you for joining us. I want to remind our listeners that these shows are archived at iTunes at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. Okay, Stephen, you have the last word. Well, Preston, I appreciate your uh, helping me and allowing me to uh, put out what I know because things do change over time. I've read some really strange stories, but 
basically you try and get the history down as best you can. Uh, have you ever talked about the Seabird files on your show? Not to my professor knowledge. Seabird. Okay, there's a professor out. There was. He's long dead in 1890. That collected underground railroad stories called Professor Seabird. I think he's University Ohio University was where he worked, and he collected all these different stories about different railroads and the people that worked. Because in 1890, there were still people alive that had been on the underground railroad. So you might want to do a show about that sometime. But I'll let well, you. Work exactly. That one out. And because I haven't heard about it, it certainly doesn't mean that our producer, Leslie Guest, who I'm almost willing to bet, has heard about it. And I'm sure she has. done a show on it before I got affiliated with the Guest of Freedom. Okay. Thanks a lot again, Stephen. Good night. Thank you, Preston Washington. I appreciate your help. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 